Welcome into the Archive Sports Business Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. And in this episode, we welcome a very special guest, uh, Brian Gillette, who wrote a book called Epic Performance, um, in which he interviews 100 high-performing CEOs, CIOs, athletes, endurance athletes, and uh, looks for uh, commonalities, differences, and uh, maybe tries to find uh, the nugget of what drives that high performance. I thought it was an interesting book, you know, getting that perspective from so many different people. So I wanted to have him on to uh, find out what he learned. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Brian Gillette. All right. So we're joined here by Brian Gillette. And uh, you wrote a book called uh, Epic Performance, where you interview a lot of like high achievers, athletes, business people, that kind of stuff. And that's kind of what caught my attention. Um, what made you write that book, a book like that? Yeah, you know, it's it's it's, uh, it's an experience to write a book. Um, I do a lot around ultra distance events, and I think uh, writing a, a book is similar to any ultra distance event. But what uh, Curtis, what really got me to write the book is I had I had talked to people. And, you know, I was getting ready to do something, whether it was run the 200 miles around Tahoe or travel around the world for a year with my kids. And I had several people come up to me and say, I could never do that. And, and, and in my heart, I thought, yeah, you probably could. Maybe you don't want to. Yeah. And, and so I knew what I had to do in order to do these ultra distance events or, you know, if, you know, former executive um, in human resources. But I wanted to understand from, I just kind of put this number in my head, 100 people. I wanted to talk to 100 people who were kind of at the top of their game um, in mostly on in the business side. So a lot of CEOs, CIOs, kind of that CXO space. And then so about 75% there. And then um, about 25%, 25 people in the uh, ultra distance events. So somebody that's minimally done the equivalent of like an Ironman. And understand what are the behaviors that they do? How do they think really big? How do they uh, take really take their idea across the finish line um, in order to help somebody else do it? Yeah, that's fascinating. So who, uh, what kind of people did you talk to? Uh, maybe not, not necessarily names, but maybe more specifically in certain areas. And were there any uh, differences that you noticed maybe between the endurance athletes and the CIO, CEO, or were there a lot, you know, more similarities? Surprisingly, they were very similar. Um, and it's not uncommon to see somebody at a, a CIO or a CEO who also has done some ultra distance because it's that drive that gets them to, to think bigger, to push themselves, to stretch, stretch themselves uh, in, in new ways. So, you know, a, a lot, you know, as I'd said, kind of 75% of the people were on the business side. And I wanted to understand, is there a similarity between business and sport? And, and my guess is you would, you probably think that you would think there is, cause you, you interview a lot of sports folks is there is a similar mindset. Um, so there were a lot of similarities now in the book, it's called Epic Performance and then lessons from a hundred executives and endurance athletes on reaching your peak. But the Epic Performance, what that stands for Curtis is the E is how do you envision the big things in life? at work, wherever that you want to accomplish. The P is how do you put a plan in place in order to do that? So you got to be able to see it. You put your plan in place. Iterate is work toward it. You know, you, you, uh, you talk a lot about the Tour de France and, or, or NFL folks. And, 
you don't start off riding your first bike in the Tour de France. <laughs> no, you you, yeah. st you start off slower. And, and kind of the example I often use is you don't start off running a marathon. You start off running two miles and then three miles and you work your way up. And that's what iterate is, the I in epic. The C is how do you collaborate with others who've who've done this before? You know, pretty much everything that has been done has been done before. And so how do you learn from the people that have been successful and learn from the people that have not been successful? It's like, what do you want to do? What do you not want to do? And then the lastly, it's the performance is how do you go out and do it? So I found a lot of similarities, but generally of those five behaviors, somebody isn't good at all five. Sure. They may be, they're really good at two or three and they know what they're good at. And this is, this is where I saw a lot of similarities. They know where they're good and they're able to compensate for the areas that they're not as good. So is that, so what, what kind of came out of that? Like, what is the essence of some of the, of what makes someone a high achiever? If you, if you sort of distill down some of those, those interviews and stories, is there something that it ekes out. Is it that? Is it knowing where you're good at and kind of leaning into that? Or is it, you know, uh, you know the ability to chop up these large tasks or? You, I, yes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the, 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 those were many of them. I, I think a lot, what a lot of them fa uh, could really see big ideas, you know, and they weren't, they didn't know the word I can't. I mean, it, at the end of the day, they would get this crazy ideas and, you know, many of us get, it's like kind of say, oh, I can't. And maybe it is, I can't today. But these people that I spoke with don't look at like I can't. Maybe I, they, they may say to themselves, well, I can't do it today, but I know I can eventually get there. And so they just don't understand I can't. Um, and, and it's that, that optimism that I know we can kind of drive toward it. Um, and, and I talked to some folks that had these crazy big ideas for a company and it didn't make it across the finish line. And so they had to, had to pivot at some point, oh, but yeah. it's that, that it really it's, you know, Curtis, it's that ability to, it's like, yeah, we can do this. Oh yeah. Well, I thought it was interesting. You kind of opened up, you said, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I can't, but it's really more, maybe you choose not to like like you can't right now but there is a path that you know you can chop it up into the smallest steps possible and you can start you know sort of one foot in front of the other to begin that journey it, you know, that you, may end with a marathon or whatever you are so right and and when i you know i I'll, if i'm doing a keynote i you know there's there's one part where i talk about those phases of optimism from i can't to i did and it's like I can't yet. <laughs> um, and once you move from I can't to I can't yet, you're starting to see some level of of optimism. And and so that was that was that big thing is that ability of like, okay, I, I can't, I maybe not be able to do it now, but I will be able to do it uh, do it in the future. Yeah. And sometimes that like huge workload that that it actually does take to get from A to B is almost comforting because the workload is also a path. You know, if you're training for a marathon or something like that, and you know, you've got to get up to X mileage per week and then, okay, well then how do I get up to X mileage per week? Okay. Well then how do I do that without getting injured? Okay. How, and you sort of deconstruct it back down to like, well, I got to go do a short run right now. 
to get started. <laughs> That's exactly it. And I, I remember, so I, I've been a cyclist for, for most of my life and I've done a lot of endurance events. I cycled across the United States. I've done like a 300 mile in one day. Uh, and I remember kind of as I was finishing up that 300 miler and you know, it was like three and two or three in the morning. And I thought, you know, what's next? Cause, cause I'm always asking that question, what's next. And I thought, you know, I'm going to run a marathon and I, and I was not a runner. I, 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 I always claimed I wasn't a runner. I didn't, didn't really run much at all. And I thought I'm going to run a marathon uh, and, and I, I knew I could do it. I just had to, to had to get up and train. And and I remember a couple of weeks later, I uh, I'm working from home and it's lunchtime. I thought I'm going to run down to, or I'm going to drive down to the, uh, the local running store. I'm going to buy some shoes and I'm going to go for this, just this uh, four mile loop uh, near our house. So I go get the shoes, come back. I do this four mile loop. I come back, everything's fine. And then, you know, I'm on a couple phone calls and it's, it's in the afternoon. I, I got to go to the bathroom. So I walk upstairs and as I go to walk upstairs, my legs are just like killing. <laughs> and I thought, okay, this hurts. Um, but it was, it's like, okay, four miles hurts now, but in a week four or two couple weeks, four miles won't hurt. And then I'll be at sure. five miles and six miles and seven miles. And, and, you know, Curtis, I want to go back to to something you were talking about is, you know, we'll often say I can't and it's that that drive. And and when I'm talking to groups, you know, I'll ask them, you know, what is one thing you want to do before you're 80? You know, that it's that one thing. It's like somebody says, oh, you know, I want to be able to run a marathon. And and in, in their head, they come up with these excuses. You know, I'm too old. I'm too fat. I'm too slow. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. Uh, and those are all those are all excuses that we use, and sometimes they're more valid than others. And at the end, I I ask them, you know, it's like, do you want to? And if, if some people don't want to run a marathon, I get it. Um, if you don't want to, go on and do something else. But if you want to, let's get rid of those other excuses and figure out, you know, time and money. You know, that's all about priorities. And so you gotta. Exactly. It, yeah. it, it, it's how do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? You know, the, the oldest guy that ran a marathon, I think he was, uh, he started in his late eighties and he ran one when he was a hundred. It's like, all right. Yeah. You got not, time. You got yeah. time. You're not too yeah. old. <laughs> so what made you do the, uh, these long endurance things and, you know, was it just the cha challenge of it or was it something that you initially started to get in shape and then it, devolved into that <laughs> you know or, or what what kind of what was that journey like yeah you know i'm sure some psychiatrist could could uh really dig into that question and give you a much better answer than i could but i i started cycling when i was in my teens and and i enjoyed it and i you know i mean i started cycling before then but i started doing um longer distance cycling um in my teens and then, and I enjoyed it. You know, I enjoyed it. You know, the first ride was from, I live in the San Francisco Bay area and we, and I rode from San Francisco up to Yosemite. It was 200 miles, did it over four days. And I enjoyed that thrill. It's like, I, I did this. Most people drive it and I rode my bike. And, and so it just got bigger and it's like, okay, I'm going to come down from Canada into the San Francisco Bay area. And then I thought, wouldn't it be cool to go? And a friend of mine had done this across the United States. 
So it just kind of grew into something. And then, um, you know, you, you get older and you have kids and it's harder to be gone for, you know, two months. <laughs> it's doable, but it's harder. And so it's like, I'm going to do a lot of one day. And so you do the hundred milers and then the 200 milers and then a 300 mile was, it's just like, oh, that, that sounds intriguing. And then, you know, I did the same thing with running. It's like, I, I needed a, a different outlet. I needed something to challenge me uh, both physically and mentally. And I, and I'm, I'm extremely goal oriented um, and just, I'm, I'm just wired that way. And, and so it's like, okay, what's next? My yeah, poor wife some... has to deal with it, but. Yeah. <laughs> but there's something about that sort of like confronting the challenge or, you know, you, sort of like you're the aggressor in a sense and it works. Whereas like, I think sometimes, you know, if people almost get on the back foot and it becomes this big stressor. But if you're, if you're sort of going at something, you can do these amazing things like, you know, build a business, ride a bike, 300 miles, you know, all that kind of stuff. Whereas if you're where, if like the challenges are coming to you and you're almost sitting, waiting for them, it can be this huge stressor. There's something about sort of going, launching into these challenges. Is that something you've seen with, with people and. Yeah, you know, um, you know, I, I hadn't looked at it that way, uh, Curtis. I mean, I, I think these challenges make me stronger, and I can see it with other people. It made them stronger. Is when you purposely put yourself on into something like this, it does make you more resilient. And so, when you are faced with challenges that you did not purposely put you put in front of you. I do believe and I've seen that you are more resilient to handle those things um, because you've you've put your body, your mind under that level of stress. Um, and so it, it I think there there's some validity to what you're what you're saying. Yeah. And the the challenges that some of these people face that you interviewed was there. Um, I mean, they did face challenges. It wasn't all just sort of rosy. Uh, were, were there any you know, stories that they shared with you or, you know, sort of ways that they overcame these stresses and challenges that they dealt with? Yeah. I mean, there were, there were folks that started up their business and invested a lot of money and, you know, some that went on to be sold for a couple billion dollars, some that just went out of business. Um, and then on the sports side, there were those instances where somebody was just pushing their body and they've just pushed it their mind and their body too far. So those, those, those did exist. And, and each time kind of that failure um, or that inability to reach what their original goal was, you know, some would look at it and say, Oh yeah, I can't do that. You know, what many of them looked at is like, okay, I just wasn't successful that time. Um, what do I have to do differently? And so that ability to look at how do, how do I look at things a little bit differently? Um, it's, you know, I, I remember when I was training for Tahoe 200, which is a 200 mile run around, um, Lake Tahoe, just this beautiful, iconic lake uh, between California and Nevada. And one of the things I had to do from a training perspective was I had to run 30 miles a day for four days in a row. You know, so you go out, you get up early in the morning, you do your 30 miles, you do the same thing the next day and kind of the next three days. And I was out on my third day. It was August in California. It was hot. I was miserable. My legs hurt. And I was just whining to myself. 
And and I've seen a bunch of people do this same thing. And I and I realize that, you know, and, and it's like I, I'm 10 miles from home. I can, you know, be home in no time and not finish up the day. You know, I'm only 10 miles into this run. And I realized, you know, I have a friend of mine who's going through breast cancer. She's dealing with some real problems. Mine, mine are self-induced <laughs> and mine I can stop any day, any time and, and be able to move for and kind of be able to kind of everything's going to be fine tomorrow. She couldn't stop. Mine were voluntary. Hers weren't. So that ability to put things in perspective was was one thing that I, you know, I saw so many people do. You know, another one is the ability to understand why are you doing this? You know, what is your purpose for starting the business, for doing a 200-mile run, a marathon? And and one of the guys that I spoke to, a successful engineer, uh, CEO of this, uh, this good-sized engineering company, and he was out training for an Ironman. Um, so he had both the executive and the, the ultra-distance side, and he was out training for an Ironman. And I said, what, what kept you going? And he goes, you know, I didn't want to die like my uncle did on the couch. And I said, you know, tell me more. He said, I saw my uncle hurt his back and that put him on the couch and it kind of left him there. He, you know, he didn't get up. He didn't exercise. He got overweight. That made it even harder to exercise. And it was just this downward, downward spiral. And I saw how he eventually died because of that. And I did not want that to happen to me. So when I know I have to get up at three or four in the morning to go for a swim or a run or a bike ride, I think of him. And it kind of solidifies that why of this is why I'm doing this. And so that ability to really understand why are you doing something was was just prevalent in so many of the people I talked to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that that downward spiral or upward spiral, whichever way is a real thing, you know, it's that, you know, grasping onto, you know, can you, you know, is there something you can do that, you know, keep a promise to yourself or do, you know, right, whatever, take a shower, you know, something, and that's a positive. And that, you know, then there's, you know, the other sense of if you sort of let all these little things constantly go, you know, you sort of know it, you know, it, you know, yourself, hey, I, I didn't, you know, whatever, the little thing, you know, take out the trash on time or whatever. I didn't, you know, and it, and it compounds the other way. So it's like, if you can grasp onto some of these things, like, Hey, I can go run, or I can go do this, or I can go do that. You know, there, there's something there uh, that it's almost like keeping this little promise to yourself that keeps you going. It is. And, and so often, and, and you use a marathon as example, you think of a marathon as you know 26.2 miles. And, and that is, that is what its length is. But if you, when you're standing at the start line, you know, 26.2 miles may be the longest way. So don't think about it as 26.2 miles. Think about it as five miles to your first aid station. And then when you get to that aid station, you have five miles more and you know you can run five miles and so you just have to do that a couple of times and so you know curtis you're so right it's like break those things down into smaller chunks um you know i, I think sometimes it is good and it's healthy and it's helpful to be able to think about what that big picture is you know kind of that what's the mountaintop that i'm trying to reach um, but sometimes that mountaintop is so far away 
you know, it may be a year or two or three years away before you accomplish that, that you got to, what are some of the smaller wins that, you know, instead of getting to the mountaintop, I'm just going to get to that summit there. And once I get there, I'm going to reward myself because it's much easier to do that. And, it, and then you, you're not waiting for a year or two years for your, your next reward. You know, do it, do it more quickly than that. Oh yeah. You get the rewards along the way and you have the ability to kind of even accomplish the task at all. You know, if you start the marathon and you're thinking only about the 26.2 and you get, you know, a mile and a half in and you don't feel great, <laughs> then you start telling yourself, well, uh, it's impossible. It's not possible. Right. You know, yeah. and it's sort of like, if it's more like, okay, I'm here now, one foot in front of the other aid stations up ahead. Let me get there. Then I'll see how I feel then, you know, and, and lo and behold, you'll, you'll get there. You know, it's just, yeah. And, and you know, at some point in a marathon, you are going to feel miserable. You know, almost everybody does at some point. Generally it happens, you know, there's people often joke that the halfway of a marathon is about the 21 mile marker, you know, somewhere in the 20 to 22, because the first 21 miles or so isn't too bad. It's that last five miles that is really hard. And once you can get, you know, from 21 to 23, that's a big leap. And, and the ability to, okay, once you get to 23, it's like, okay, I just have a couple more miles. I can, I can coast in, but you have to expect at some point along whatever journey you are on, you are going to hit a bottom. You are going to be miserable. You're going to be tired. You may, if you're running a company, you may be low on cash and, and know that when that happens, how am I going to, how am I going to move myself out of it? Oh yeah. So what's next? You've written the book, you do some keynotes, what, uh, maybe a, a little bit about, about that. Do you have another book on the way? Do you have speeches coming up? Anything like that? You know, I know, uh, I'm not, I don't have another book on the way. Um, you know, maybe I, I've tried, I, I want to get through this one first and, uh, in, and work on that one. Um, you know, I, I've got a couple, uh, couple of speeches that I'm doing it at some groups in the San Francisco Bay Area. So I do that. Um, I facilitate a lot of executive retreats. So that keeps me uh, busy. And I always I always like to have some some goal that, you know, kind of physical goal that that I can focus on that just just to keep me in shape, because that's what keeps me. You know, my wife is really good. She goes to the gym every single day or not, I mean, she'll either swim or run or, you know, you know, do something kind of work yeah. out. And she's really good at that. I, I work better. Whereas if I have that goal that it drives me to do something every day. I'm the same so, way. Yeah. So at the beginning of the year, I, uh, or kind of the be end of last year, I'm thinking, I oh, got, I need a goal. I need a goal. What's something I can do. And I thought I, I'm going to do one sit up for every year old I am every day. And so I'm, I'm, you know, mid fifties. So I'm going to do, you know, 54 sit-ups and I'll turn 55 in, uh, in March. So I'll do 54 sit-ups every day. And so January 1st. And so that's 20,000 and one sit-ups this year. And if you think of 20,000 and one, it's like, oh, that's daunting. But if you think of 54 every day, it's like, that's very doable. So, you know, for, for January, I did, I was doing 60 a day just because I like to have something in the bank in case there's a day where I, I'm not, I can't do it. At least I've got something in the bank. And I thought, 
okay, 60 was, wasn't a problem. So now I'm, you know, for the month of February, I've been doing 90 a day. So it, and it's like, okay, I'm going to continue to do 90 and, and I'll get, I don't know, 30,000 or so this year, but it, it gives, it's, it's that drive. Um, oh yeah. That, that gets me my, uh, the, the other thing I'm thinking about, and, um, I was, my, my wife and I and our we have two boys, two teenage boys. We're we're getting we're going to go down to just signed up to go down to Antarctica um, next Christmas, and they have oh, cool. a, they have a, a, a um, running track on top of the boat. It's short because it's a relatively small boat. My my son who is high school, he does high school track and, and uh, cross country. He said, "Dad, there's a running track on it." I said, I know I was thinking because we're going to be on the ship and going to have nothing to do for a period of time. And if the weather's right and the boat's calm, maybe we should train and run a marathon on the ship and just do that lap. <laughs> so this this morning we were calculating how many laps and we think it's somewhere around 300 laps. And so that's the one thing that's percolating in my head right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that'd be awesome. He, he And he said, it's, Dad, it's going to be the coolest Strava. Because it's going to be it's going to be a line going right down, you know, toward, uh, you know, the middle of the ocean. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a circle, but it'll be. Well, what you won't see going. the circle because you're going to be following the yeah. boat. Maybe, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it'll just be one line somewhere, you know, in the middle of the Drake's Passage. That's awesome. Well, where can people find the book or find you if they if they want to learn more about that? Yeah, so the best way to uh, connect up with me and learn more about the book, the book's on Amazon. You can go to Amazon and type in Epic Performance, Brian Gillette or Epic Performance Lessons from 100 Executives and Endurance Athletes on Reaching Your Peak. Um, you can also go to epicperformances.com. So that's E-P-I-C performances with an S dot com. And that allows you to connect up with me, kind of get more, um, get connected into the book and and see those things. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. And uh, you're welcome back anytime. Hey, Curtis, it was great talking to you. Thank you. Thank you.